1: Welcome back. We are here to talk a little bit of college football. This is going to be more of a CFB Nation type of show. Uh, CFB Nation obviously is is presented by Twisted Tea this year. That is a sponsor that we have at CFB Nation. And guys, it's week one of college football, guys and gals. It's week one of college football, and I am very excited about it. There's going to be some really, really fun games going on this weekend week first three weeks of the season there's just a lot of good games and so what we're going to do in this part of the show before we go into the the ib mailbag is we're going to talk about two types of games one are just there's a lot of games i'm intrigued by i wouldn't call them necessarily like really big games you know like wow what a great lsu versus florida state type of game There aren't a ton of those, but there's a lot of intriguing games with really storylines. And these are things that I'm going to be looking at. These are games I'm going to to be watching this weekend, which I'm really excited about. So we're going to first talk about some of the intriguing games. And then I'm going to break down what I believe are the three biggest games of the weekend. Those are going to be North Carolina versus South Carolina, LSU versus Florida State, and Clemson versus Duke. Those are the three games that I'm going to talk about at the end which are sort of the breakdowns, and I'll, and I'll detail those a little bit more. But let's talk about some of the games that I'm most intrigued by. There's two games on Thursday night, and this is uh, – I used to really be against like Thursday and Friday night games, and I, and I am to a degree from a scheduling standpoint, and when you're playing on a Thursday after you also played on a Saturday, I'm not a big fan of that. But there are but, – but I do like it as a fan because there's games on multiple nights. And so on Thursday night, there's two really intriguing games – Uh, that we're going to get a chance to see. There's actually a lot of games that, as Notre Dame fans, that we will probably be keeping our eye on because Notre Dame has a lot of their opponents playing uh, on Thursday and Friday night. So when you actually look at Thursday games, it's Thursday, August 31st. Wake Forest kicks the season off on Thursday night, who Notre Dame plays. Uh, And then NC State plays at UConn, which is an interesting game. So from a Notre Dame standpoint, uh, there are going to be some games. Louisville plays on Friday, which I'll actually get to that one, and then Stanford plays on Friday. So before we get to Saturday, we'll have seen four of Notre Dame's upcoming opponents get a chance to play uh, this weekend. So that's going to be a, an interesting look at those games or you know at those teams as well. When you look at the, the 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 games before Saturday, there's really three that are most incur- and intriguing to me.
0: Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com/slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed.
1: And the first one is Florida at Utah. I'm I'm really guys, I'm really intrigued by this game because I think there's this notion, there's this assumption that a lot of people have that Florida's just not going to be very good this year. And that could be. Sorry, I got to move a couple things around to grab something here real fast. That could be. They may not be very good this year. But I don't know if Florida's going to be as bad as a lot of people think, and I think Florida could be a team that could surprise some people, to be completely honest with you this year. And and I know that I'm a, a little bit in the minority here, when it comes to Florida and the big reason why is because of Graham Mertz and here's why this game intrigues me on paper this should not be a a very close game I mean you look at it Florida's coming off of a rough year they did beat Utah last year but Utah was a much better team late Utah finished in the top 15 They're preseason number 14 team in the country they're four point favorites which actually surprised me a little bit and I have a feeling that has to do with the fact Cameron Rising is not playing but when I look at this Utah team I look, I realize that, that they make me look silly a lot. Cause I, I oftentimes don't think Utah is going to be as good as they are. But when I look at Utah, I think Utah's a team that's kind of beat up on their league and they haven't been great at a conference. They really haven't. They lost to a not very good Utah Florida team last year in a game. They honestly should have won, but they did go to Gainesville last year and they did lose last season to, 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 um to Florida. They lost by two touchdowns in the bowl game to Penn State. I know that Cameron Rising got hurt, but they were losing before Cameron Rising got hurt. In 2021, they also lost a bowl game to Ohio State, although they battled. But they lost to San Diego State at a conference. They lost to BYU at a conference before dominating their league. And, and so we we have seen this Utah team quite often in recent years really struggle when they get out of conference. You go back to 2019, that was an 11-3 Utah team. They beat a not very good BYU team. They beat Northern Illinois only by 18, and they beat Idaho State out of conference. They didn't really play anybody really good out of conference. Then they get to a bowl game against Texas, and they get absolutely blown out. They get beat 38-10 to 10 by, by an 8-5 Texas team that year. So when, when I look at at Utah, they, they don't play really well out of conference. They, they just have it. They lost to Northwestern in a bowl game in 2018, they're they're not a team that's really been good outside of the Pac-12. And Florida's a team that you look at and say, yeah, but it's Florida. They're not going to be very good this year. And you could be right. You could be right. But here's what intrigues me about this game. And and I haven't even made my prediction yet. We're actually going to have predictions. This is one of the games that the Irish Breakdown staff has made. And, and everybody else has, has Utah winning the game. And I haven't made my pick yet because I'm a little... I'm a little unsure of how this game is going to go. You look at Florida last year, finished six and seven, lost their last three games, lost to Vanderbilt on the road. That was a bad loss. Battled Florida State really hard and lost a a great game, but then they just got absolutely destroyed by Oregon State. But here's why I think Florida is a bit of a wild card for me. Number one is they're going into year two. And, And I've said this before about Notre Dame. Year two of a of a coach, especially if you think a guy's a good football coach, should be good. You should be better. And I th- and, and and when I look at Billy Napier, I see a coach who's going through a lot of what Mike Norvell went through, which is you're not just installing what you do, you're also going into a situation where you've got to change the culture. You know, like when Marcus Freeman was hired, he had to do some culture changing, but it was different than those places because he inherited a team that went eleven and two and was two years removed from a playoff game. It's different than you're replacing a coach who got fired because the program was a mess, and that's what Billy Napier stepping into. I liked what he did at at Louisiana Lafayette, and when you look at their roster, they lost a lot of players from last year, and they've got some transfers coming in. But honestly, to a degree, I kind of think losing some of those guys might end up being a good thing for them because, like I said, there's a culture change that needs to happen. But here's really what it boils down to for me for Florida. It's Graham Mertz. And, and here's where I'm coming from on this. Hear me out. Graham Mertz is physically very talented. I loved his high school film. Notre Dame tried to land him in 2019 when they lost Caden McNamara. They went hard after Graham Mertz. And, and Chip Long wanted him big time. And they they went really hard after him. And I loved his talent. He went to Wisconsin. And I just never felt that was a smart move for him. And what we're going to find out about Graham Mertz is one of two things. One is he's a physically gifted player who's just not a good quarterback. Yes, he's big and he's a good athlete. He's got a a really live arm, but he's not a good quarterback. We're going to learn that this season, or we're going to learn this is why it's incredibly important that quarterbacks put more emphasis on fit than I think some have in recent years. And Graham Mertz is going to tell me, tell me that. I don't know that Graham Mertz is a kid that was going to go from the, the shotgun based offense. He ran in high school to coach, to a system that's going to be under center, you know, handing off all the time, just completely different type of reads. I don't think he was fit for that. I think he's a kid that's better fit in this, in the spread. Now is that accurate or not is, or is perhaps it would have been true. Had he gone to a place like Florida coming out of high school, but he's too far gone now and he can't be fixed. That could be true as well. I just have a sneaky suspicion that Graham Mertz is going to be a little bit better than people think this year. I'm not saying he's going to be great, but I think he's going to be better than people think. And with Cam Rising, Cam Rising hurt, and, and he still lists as questionable for the game, if he does play, I think he's going to be hobbled. The guy tore his ACL in the bowl game in January, so he's not very far removed from that. They lost some very important players from last year. They're going to be tough and physical. I just have a feeling this game is going to be a really competitive game, and I'm not going to be shocked if Florida makes enough plays to win it. I have had major question marks about Utah's secondary the last couple years other than Clark Phillips. Clark Phillips was excellent. The rest of their secondary, question mark. Their pass rush was pretty good in certain times last year, but their secondary had some major question marks uh, the last couple of seasons uh, outside of Clark Phillips. Well, Clark Phillips was gone. And when I look at this game, I look at Mike Pearsall and just how good I think he's going to be this year. I think it could be a situation where, um, you know, he, he they're just going to struggle a little bit more this year. I just have this weird feeling that Utah is going to t- kind of take a st- little bit of a step back this year. But I'm curious to see how that plays out on, on Thursday night. Another game I'm intrigued by, I'm not going to spend as much time on this one, and that's the Nebraska-Minnesota game. It's at 8 o'clock on Thursday night on Fox. Minnesota is a touchdown favorite. I'm not real high on Minnesota, to be completely honest with you. I I, I don't know what it is, but I just – P.J. Fleck has not just been able to get the buy-in there that he got at, at Western Michigan. They lose Muhammad Ibrahim. They lose the Tanner Morgan, who they just were never able to get, it, get him back to where he was before his injury. Their offensive line was pretty decent last year. It should be better this year. I just don't love the team that he's built. They're a touchdown favorite against Nebraska. Matt Rule kicks off his tenure. Ryan and I have had a discussion about Jeff Sims in the past and, and Ryan really likes Jeff Sims talent. I don't disagree with that. I just don't think Jeff Sims is a very good quarterback. It's one thing to have physical tools is nothing to be a good quarterback. And it's kind of similar to what we talked about with Graham Mertz. And so I'm kind of taking a certain opinion about Graham Mertz that if the talent gets fit into the right system, he could end up being a lot better. I, I the thing same truth is true to me of potentially for Jeff Sims, if if he's not just a physically talented kid, but he actually does have certain skills, which I doubt. I don't know that he has quarterback traits outside of the physical tools. Then Nebraska, all of a sudden, has a really physically gifted quarterback that could give that Minnesota defense some problems. So I'm, I'm very curious how this one is going to be. But here's the thing. And somebody just mentioned in the chat, Bill Walsh has beat me to it. The thing I like about Minnesota, however, is Joe Rossi has a really sound – Good defense. The personnel's not great. That's the problem that Joe Rossi has. Does Nebraska have enough athletes to take advantage of that? We're gonna find out. But the Matt Rule te- tenure st- starts off. I don't think he needs to win to kind of get some positive momentum going, but I do think that he has to, they have to play well. They can't go into this game against Minnesota and just get whipped. If he gets whipped at Minnesota, and I know Minnesota's a decent, decent team, you know, they were a bowl team last year, whatever the case may be, it's still Minnesota and you're still Nebraska. That if you can win this game, somehow pull off this upset against a, a, a team that's not great offensively. And, and you want proof of what I'm talking about, Minnesota won nine games last year. They finished five and four down the stretch. They started off four and Offense looked good early, but this is what they did in the second and the last. See here the last nine games of the season they scored 10 points against Purdue, 14 points against Illinois, 17 points against Penn State, 31 points against Rutgers. They beat Nebraska 20 to 13. They beat a bad Northwestern team 31 to 3. They beat Iowa, lost to Iowa 10 to 13. They beat Wisconsin 23 to 16. And they beat Syracuse 28-20. to 20. So in the last nine games of the year, Minnesota's offense only averaged 20.4 points per game. That's it. And I don't love the, the talent they have coming back, honestly, with some of the guys that they lost. So I, I have question marks about Minnesota this year. I know that I'm a bit in the minority when it comes to that. I, I, as far as like I could see, meaning like I could see them really falling off this season, like really struggling this season. Uh, we'll find out if I'm right or, or not, but that this is a chance for, for Nebraska if somehow Nebraska can win this game. This is a chance for Nebraska to get a win, go on the road against Colorado next week, got a good chance to, to win there. Then you're at home against Northern Illinois, Northern Illinois and Louisiana Tech. So if, if Nebraska can pull off this upset and beat Minnesota, who they're a touchdown underdog against, you're going to have a chance to see Matt Rule really get his tenure off to a good start.
0: Keep
1: it twisted. Let's move to Friday. Uh, Louisville, Georgia Tech. Not a lot to talk about with this game other than just it's a Notre Dame opponent, but it's two coaches starting their seasons off or their careers off at these new schools. Uh, 7.30 on Friday night on ESPN. Louisville is a seven and a half point favorite. Uh, Georgia Tech, I, I think, is going to struggle on offense, but I I like some of the athletes that they've been able to get through the transfer portal on defense. I'm very curious to see what they do defensively. We're going to get our first chance to see Jeff Brom at Louisville back at his alma mater. And of course, this is a team that I have my eye on because Louisville is one of the teams that Nerding plays during that really tough four week stretch of games. It starts with Ohio State, ends with USC, both at home, and then has at Duke and at Louisville in between. Very intrigued to see that. So Louisville is a team that I'm going to have my eye on this year. And the fact that they play Friday night is going to give me some time to watch it. There's five games on Saturday I'm, I have questions about that I'm very intrigued by. Number one is Colorado at TCU. I just want to see it, right? Both teams, I want to see what Colorado is. I don't think they're going to be very good this year. I really don't. You know, what kind of magic can Coach Sanders work with that team, if any? We're going to find out. But I think Colorado is going to be really not good. But we get a chance to see also TCU and what are they going to look like after their great run last year? Are they going to be hungry? Or they lost a ton of players. Are they going to be able to reload? Are they going to take a big step back this year, or just a minor step back this year, or can they keep going? Are we all misguided in writing them off because they lost Max Dugan and, and you know the, the the running back and Kendra Miller and some of you know Quinton John Quinton Johnson right? Uh, they lost some really talented players, but they've got some other good players coming back. and And let's not forget Chandler Morris beat Max Dugan out last year, partly because of an injury to Max Dugan but beat him out last year. Then he got hurt in the opener, and, and now he's going to be back in starting lineup. So I'm very intrigued by this uh, by this matchup, on, on uh, not just because of the hype, but just kind of getting into just what, what are you going to learn about these two teams? Ohio State, number three Ohio State, plays at Indiana. It's 3.30 on CBS. Ohio State is a 30-point favorite. I am not intrigued by this game from the standpoint of OG, Ohio State might get upset by Indiana. They're going to destroy Indiana, in my opinion. I do want to see how Ohio State plays. I do. I want to see how Kyle McCord looks in the opener. I want to see how they're going to use the two quarterbacks together. Is it just Kyle McCord starts and he plays until they're blowing him out? Then they bring Devin Brown in to maybe let him get some work with the ones before they put the backups in. Could it be that? Are they going to rotate him in every third series? Is he going to come in in situations like Ian Book did in 2018 when Brandon Wimbush was a starter early? I'm curious to see that. And here's the other thing I'm curious about. This is our first look at the Ohio State offensive line. Who's going to start for them? Are they actually going to start a freshman like some people have told me they may do? I, I don't know. Uh, what's the transfer from San Jose State look like? Where's he going to play? How are they going to – I mean, look, the Ohio State, from a skill standpoint – I don't think there's a team in the country with better skilled talent at running back and receiver than Ohio State. When you look at those two groups together, I just, and they've got a pretty good tight end as well in Cade Stover. The question is going to be, Ohio State is going to go as far as their offensive line and quarterback can take them. This is going to be our first chance to see that. And I'm also curious to see how their defense does in, in, in year two under, under Jim Knowles. But Indiana is really bad on offense. And so I fully anticipate Ohio State's offense. Uh, really dominating Indiana, I, I or defense, I should say, dominating Indiana. So I, I don't know that we'll learn a ton about the Ohio State defense in this game against Indiana. You know, again, Indiana only averaged 23 points a game last year, and part of that's because they scored 35 against Iowa. Idaho, 33 against Western Kentucky, 39 against a bad Michigan State team, 33 against Maryland. But they were – I mean, last – Nine games of the year, 24, 21, 10, 33, 17, 14, 14, 39, 16. Ohio State's defense is going to shut Indiana down. So, you know, we'll get a chance to see a little bit. I'm more curious curious what we're going to see on offense from them. Here's another intriguing game. Boise State at number 10, Washington at 330 on ABC. Washington is a two-point touchdown favorite. I just want to see what improvements Washington makes in year two. I think Boise State's a good first-game opener. It's a team they should beat. It's a team they should probably be, you know, it's, there's a reason there's a 14-point spread there. Boise's a scrappy team. They're not old-school Boise State. They're not the team that they used to be. But they're scrappy. And I want to see what Washington looks like. And here's what I want to see. Are they going to be able to run the football? They lost Cam Davis to an injury. They've got some other guys that are still, I mean, they got the transfer from Mississippi State. You know, we're going to find out kind of what they do, uh, what they look like. But I want to see the offensive line. Are they going to run the, Are they going to be able to run the ball better this year? That's going to be a big key. I have Washington in the college football playoff. That doesn't happen if the if they can't be a little bit more balanced running the football. And I'm not saying they need to go out there and run for 200 yards a game. They just need to have a little bit more of a threat running the football. Uh, and, And I also think their defense has to play a little bit better. I'm curious to see what they do defensively here in year two under Coach DeBoer. So those are two things that I'm going to be intrigued by. And if Washington can kind of come out and look good in the opener, then I'll feel a little bit better about my bold prediction of having them in the college football playoff and winning i mean forget the college football playoff it's bold to pick them to win the Pac 12 in my view i mean i they're a preseason top 10ish type of team i think everybody just assumes it's going to be USC and Oregon and all this i really like this Washington team and and part of it is i'm a big believer in Kalen DeBoer that's that's really what it comes down to for me and although Ohio State is the number 1 receiving core in the country this right here Washington is the number 2 receiving core in the country Notre Dame fans should remember Jalen McMillan. That's a guy that the Notre Dame staff, Chip Long at least, wanted uh, really bad when he was here. And uh Jalen liked Notre Dame a lot. There was I think a lot of you know the story as to why they didn't get him. But uh, he's a guy that honestly they should have they should have landed on honestly. But he's part of a great receiving core at Washington. Another game I'm very intrigued by is West Virginia at Penn State, number seven Penn State. That game's at 7 30 on NBC. Penn State's a 20 and a half point favorite two key interesting aspects of this game. Number one, hot seat for Neil Brown at West Virginia. He should be on the hot seat in my opinion. I think he is he has uh underachieved for what West Virginia should be as a program. I don't think he's he's he hasn't been overly willing to make the changes necessary uh, or that could probably come down to he hasn't been able to recognize the changes that are necessary to take the program to the next step. And that's something that he's going to have to figure out, but they could they could start the season off in a really rough fashion against Penn state. I have said for years that Penn state is an overrated program under James Franklin. And they have been, they were overrated last year. They were one of the least impressive 30, 11 and two teams that we saw last year. It reminded me a lot of the Notre Dame 2021 team where it's like, you lost to the only good teams you played and you beat up a bunch of teams that have do not have talent anywhere close to what you have last season. And, and so you, you look at that, they didn't have to play Iowa last season that was not one of their crossover games. They played a bad Auburn team and and honestly guys if it wasn't for just uh, Purdue choking that game away in the first in the first opener, they got outplayed by Purdue. They had two fluke plays that helped them win that game. They got outplayed by Purdue. Had an ugly win over Northwestern. Just I wasn't impressed by Penn State last year for most of the year. I did like how they finished the year. I loved how they looked physically in the in the in the Rose Bowl against Utah, they went toe to toe with Utah and took punches and gave punches. I hadn't seen that a lot from Penn State in the past. And then when I look up at the make, I look at the makeup of their team this year. This should be the best offensive line they've had since um, Phil Troutwine's been their O line coach. They got a really important transfer and Dante Cephas, a receiver, which will help them uh, be kind of pick up, you know, overcome the loss of Parker Washington from last year love their running backs, their defense lost some good players, but they've got some – this is one of the most athletic defenses in college football, in my opinion, Uh, coming back on all three levels. this: Abdul Carter uh, at linebacker, you've got obviously Kalen King. We know about those guys, but if you just look across the board, there's a lot of athleticism, and they've had two really sneaky good back-to-back recruiting classes in the freshman and sophomore classes that are providing a lot of depth, uh, as well as some starting spots. I think Penn State is a sleeper team for me. I have felt they've been overrated for years. They've gotten way too hype, too much hype in past years, but I think this Penn State team has a chance to be really, really good. Two keys. Number one is can James Franklin stop getting in his team's way in big moments of big games and just kind of let his coordinators do things a little bit more? I, I think he's James Franklin is a great recruiter. He's a very good motivator. His teams usually have pretty good discipline from a fundamental standpoint. He's just not a good in-game coach. If he can improve that this year and just not make some of those mistakes, and then the second part is Drew Aller. I don't need Drew Aller to be a star. I need Drew Aller to go out there and be a Heisman contender this year. If he can just be a good quarterback, let him manage when he needs to manage, but then let him use that big arm to make some plays at times in the play-action game and and, in different aspects of the game, if they can get good quarterback play from him this year and the offensive line is what I think it's going to be, I really do think this Penn State team is good. Look, and y'all know I am not a James Franklin fan at all as a coach, but he has put a really good team together. I like what you such done as the OC. I've got big question marks about Manny Diaz. That's my one big holdup. If I had more faith in their D coordinator, I might have just gone just – hey let's let's have some fun and let's be bold and pick Penn State to win the big ten. I think they have that kind of roster but James Franklin's ga- James Franklin's inability to beat Ohio State and his he was doing well against Michigan for a couple years but they haven't done as well lately to me are the big holdups, but I really like the talent of this roster and if they can go out there and whoop, West Virginia, it's going to be a first step towards them proving to me that they're as good as advertised. Here's the last game that I'm going to talk about. It might surprise some of y'all. The game I'm very intrigued by is Middle Tennessee at Alabama. Number four, Alabama, 730 on the SEC network. Bama's a 39-point favorite. Here's the, here's two things that are easy for us to talk about. Obviously, as Notre Dame fans, who's the starting quarterback going to be? I have no expectation it's going to be Tyler Buckner. We've heard rumors about Ty- Jalen and and I've heard other rumors, and Nick Saban's been a bit dodgy about it. If Jalen Milrose, their starting quarterback, I think that's a problem for Alabama. I just don't think he's that kind of guy. Ty Simpson didn't do enough. Tyler Buckner didn't do enough to prove that they need to be the guy. And if Jalen Milrose, a starter, to me, that's a bit of a concern for Alabama. But is it going to be like Ohio State where Jalen is a starter, but they're going to play Ty Simpson or are they going to play Tyler Buckner? I, I don't know the answers to that. I don't know how they're going to use their quarterbacks in this game. And that's a big question mark for them. And then the second part of it is, what's the offense going to look like? I have said that I think Alabama needs to go back to being what they somewhat philosophically, not schematically and structurally as much, but philosophically, they need to go back to what they were pre-Tua. And they've become this really like pass heavy, you know, they use the run to kind of balance the pass. They've got a massive offensive line. They've got some pretty good talent on the offensive line. They've got a loaded backfield and two freshman running backs that are just dudes. They've got some other young backs that are very talented players. Their receivers are good, but they're not the elite Bama receivers of the past. Kobe Prentice is a good player. they got good players, but they're just not that elite Bama group of the past. Combined with the questions of quarterback, and you say they need to go back to just playing bully ball, Georgia has out out Bama Bama in the last couple of years, because Georgia is still trying to do the things that Bama didn't think they could do in the past. And I feel like Bama needs to find a happy medium between what they used to be and what they became, because they became a team with great pass schemes and big time quarterbacks, but they, they really couldn't run the ball when they needed to outside of the 2020 season, the COVID year. But you look at this team, they should be able to run the ball effectively. They still have some weapons that you can make big plays with, they've got to find that happy medium on offense where they where they can still just bully people. And if they can do that and protect the ball, the defensive talent is outstanding. But here's the third question that I have about Alabama. Kevin Steele. I've said this a million times. I said this when he got hired at Miami. I said the only reason to hire Kevin Steele in Miami and Charlie Strong is because, and mainly Kevin Steele, is because he's a really good recruiter. So he's going to go out there and he's going to recruit really good players and then when you fire him and you hire a real defensive coordinator that guy's going to have talent and it happened even faster than I thought. It was a train wreck. Nick Saban thinks that he can hire him and just kind of get him, you know, Nick Saban can just be the guy that leads it. I have doubts. I have I do not love this Alabama coaching staff on defense. I really don't. If I'm wrong, then Bama's going to be if if Bama can be a team that says we're going to run, we're going to get back to playing power football. Yes, we need to throw it and do all that. You can't just, you know, you can't, you can't have the, the 2000 and, uh, you know, a 15 version of Bama or you, cause you don't have Derrick Henry, right? You can't be the 09 version of Bama per se, but what I think you can do is still be a team that physically runs the football and, and be that kind of team that can then use play action in your drop back game to complement your run game as opposed to the other way around. If they can do that, and if Kevin's, and if I'm wrong about Kevin Steele, it's going to be a really good Bama team because there's some positions where they have some really good talent. They're just lacking, they have major question marks at one spot, and that's quarterback. Because again, the receiving core is not what it used to be, but it's still pretty good and still pretty talented. Mm -hmm. The question mark is going to be, defensively, do they have the right guy running the show? And if I'm wrong about Kevin Steele, this Bama team's going to be really good. And we'll get our first glimpse of all that on Saturday night at 7.30 when they play Middle Tennessee State.